You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together by trade. They were tent makers. Every Sabbath, he'd argue in the synagogue and would try to convince the Jews and Greeks. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning we're doing something a little bit different. My husband, the Reverend Mike Mayo Moyle, is here today and we are together doing a dialogue sermon uh, where we'll both do the preaching. But I'm glad to introduce him to you. Um, My husband is, Mike is a ordained elder in the United Methodist Church as well, and um, he served churches for about 10 years and then took some time to go and go back to school and get a degree in cybersecurity, and now he serves as the IT specialist for the Michigan Conference of the United Methodist Church. Mike and I met in seminary at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Uh, we had a mutual friend in common who kind of introduced us to each other, and I uh, was serving a church in Chicago and in need of some people to help with a youth group, and so I asked Mike, not knowing that youth was not his gift, if he would come and be a part of the youth group counseling, you know, counselors, and he said yes. And uh, we started hanging out and getting to know each other. And I don't know, Mike, when did you know that you wanted to marry me? When I, when I, noticed, um, I would say that I, I knew I wanted to marry you in the, in the spring. I was walking to school from, from, our apart, from the apartments that we lived in. It was warm. The sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. I, I was thinking about you and just everything felt right. I, I, I felt certain about, about making that decision. But I, th- I think it was all those little moments leading up to that as well. It was, you know, working together in that youth group that you led, that you roped me into, and, and seeing the ways that you interacted with the kids. It was hearing you preach. It was studying together. It was sharing meals together. Just, just seeing who you were and, and how you thought about the world, how you cared for others. So how about you? How, how did you know that you wanted to marry me? Well, we had been dating for a few months. We started dating in October, and... We, it was December, it was close to Christmas, and um, a friend, Marianne, a mutual friend of ours, and I had decided that we wanted to have a Christmas open house for everyone who was kind of stuck there um, at the school, at Garrett, and so a lot of the international students and some faculty and staff and just other friends who were serving churches, we invited them over for a party, and you helped me get ready for that party, and we spent time together, and you decorated cookies, and you made appetizers, and um, it was fun, and I could imagine years of throwing parties together. 
only I knew then what I was getting into, hauling, hauling folding chairs and card tables up and down the stairs every, every few weeks, it seems like. <laughs> well, you've certainly spent a lot of time over the years getting ready for parties. And I know at times you think I'm crazy, but I also know that hospitality is important. It's a way of extending love to the people that we care about, opening our home, feeding people. It's a way of blessing them. This is one of the things that I love about um, our, our scripture today about Priscilla and Aquila. They use their home to minister. They welcomed believers. They offered extensive hospitality. They started house churches. Their home was available for Christian gatherings. And this is just part of why I like having a parsonage because it reminds me to use our home as a tool for ministry. Priscilla and Aquila come into the, the biblical story because they meet Paul. The two had been expelled from Rome because of an edict of Emperor Claudius. He expelled all the Jews from the city. And so these two moved to Corinth. They were tent makers. They worked with leather. Paul was a tent maker as well. And when he came to Corinth, having that, that mutual connection brought them together. They shared the same trade. Paul worked for Priscilla and Aquila in their shop during the day in order to pay his bills. And he stayed with them in their home as well. I first came to know about Aquila and Priscilla in seminary. They appealed to me because they were true partners in ministry. They were. If you look throughout scripture, there isn't even consistency in terms of how their names are reported. Typically in the Bible, when, when one person is the leader, his name is listed first, and his, because in most cases, um, we're just talking about men in the Bible. For example, Paul and, and Barnabas. But in this case, the two names are often interchanged. Sometimes it's Priscilla and Aquila. Sometimes it's Aquila and Priscilla. We often see Priscilla listed first, which is very unusual for this time. The fact that, that Priscilla and Aquila aren't listed as something like Aquila and his wife, as is often the case in the Bible, shows that there was something special going on, that these two people were, were full partners in ministry. Neither one is given more prominence than the other in these writings that we have. At the time, Priscilla would have been expected as a Jewish wife to be subject to her husband. Aquila would have been the one to study God's word and the law and to sit in the synagogue with the men. Priscilla would have only been expected to know how to keep a kosher kitchen. And yet, Priscilla and Aquila both taught, both studied, both learned in the synagogue, and they taught together. They bucked cultural norms because they knew they ministered better together. When Paul left Corinth and went to Ephesus in Syria, Priscilla and Aquila went with him. And when Paul left Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla stayed behind to continue to nurture and develop the church. They started a house church there and, and did that work of maintaining and, and building the local church while Paul traveled on his missionary journeys. Further on in Acts chapter 18, we read this. It says, Now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And when he wished to cross over to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and helped those who through grace had become believers, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public 
by showing the scripture, through the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus. Again, here's a wonderful example set by Priscilla and Aquila. They didn't rebuke Apollos in front of everyone. They took him aside and they had a conversation with him. They shared their experiences and their knowledge and it, they explained to him what he was missing. They supported him. It makes me wonder how they dealt with other conflicts in their life and marriage. This suggests that they understood what it takes to have healthy relationships. They didn't want to embarrass Apollos. They invited him over. They talked with him. They encouraged him and presented to him what they know, what they knew. And they approached him together. And he responded positively. He received their knowledge and allowed it to expand his own. That's what I like so much about these partners in ministry and the model they present for marriage as well as ministry. They show what it is to be in it together. See, I think we can all acknowledge that, that marriage isn't always easy. I, not in our case, of course, but um, in other cases. I've, I've heard stories of how marriage might not be easy. Sometimes there are little quirks that your partner has at the beginning that, that seem so endearing and, and so special, and after the, the course of maybe 10 years or 20 years, get on your nerves a little bit. In the wedding service, we ask couples to declare their intention, and the question we ask isn't, do you take your partner to be your husband or wife, or richer, or poor, in sickness and in health. But will you? Will you take this person? Will you commit to, to living with love in the marriage? And there are days in every marriage where it takes a whole lot of willpower. When the finances are tight and the newborn is wailing in the middle of the night and you're both exhausted and coming down with colds and, and neither one of you wants to change one more diaper, it can, it can take a lot of willpower. Or you come to midlife and decide to take some time off and make a career change and have to totally, re, totally reorient your hey now, life. Hey now. Or you face illnesses or job loss or other struggles. It takes faith and patience and remembering why it is that you love each other. Likewise, within the life of the church, as we gather to engage in common mission and ministry together, it isn't always easy. Sometimes there's work to be done that, that no one wants to do. Sometimes there are differences of opinion that, that you aren't sure a compromise can ever be found. We all have our quirks, and sometimes they're cute and enduring, and, and sometimes they're annoying. But our calling as a community of Christ, as a community of faith, is, is to commit to stay together, to figure it out, to grow in love in the easy times and in the hard times. Paul left Corinth to continue his missionary journey. It's clear in his letters that he kept in contact uh, with the people, that he kept the people there close to his heart. His correspondence were so meaningful that the letters were kept and became part of the Bible. And in those letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, were reminded that even back then, at the start of it all, there were divisions and disagreements. People earnestly trying to follow Christ and had different ideas about a wide range of uh, topics, what food to eat, what rules to follow. They argued over leadership in their community and which spiritual gifts were the greatest. As Paul addresses their concerns, near the end of the letter, he writes beautiful, well-known words. They're words that we often hear at a wedding. But the words are actually not really about marriage. They're about how the church should live together. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to my childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love, these three abide, and the greatest of these is love. Without a doubt, it's good advice for new mar newly married couples, for couples who've been married for a long time, but it's also good advice for the church. At our very, very best, we are called to be people of love, people who practice patience and kindness and humility, people who deep in our hearts know how to treat each other, how to relate to each other, how to work together in the big ways and in the little ways. It all really matters, and love needs to be at the center of it all. Paul reminds us that, that now we see in the mirror dimly, and I, I think maybe part of what he's acknowledging is that we never have the full picture. Maybe we never fully understand another person's situation or their, or their point of view, but we're called to love in the midst of it. And maybe he's acknowledging that, that we aren't always going to get it right ourselves, that... that um, that, that's part of being human, and it's, it's part of being the church. From time to time, we're going to make the wrong decisions. We're going to choose convenience over compassion. We're going to, to rush in when we should step back or, or maybe hold back when we should be speaking out. In marriage and in all relationships of all shapes and sizes and in the church, we all make mistakes. We all have bad days. We all stand in the need of grace and forgiveness. But we, if we live with love in our heart, deep abiding love that washes away all divisions and shortcomings, we will persevere and we will be blessed. See, God has called us to be partners in, in ministry, that together we might connect people to people and people to God. It's, it's about those relationships. We're to do the work of serving and building the church because we love God and we love God's people. And that's, that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. Each one of us has gifts that are needed for the building up of the body of Christ. We must be partners together and enable each other to use those gifts so that God's will might be done. Because friends, I don't know about you, but I think that God's got great plans for us this year. Don't you feel it? Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. 
We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.